0: The lovely notes of Giuseppe Verde Meantime, time for another edition of Serie A sit-down. World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is, and it's always at the highest level. I'm Frank Crivello. Glad to have you with us again. Uh, Richard Carmen is not available, uh, but uh, I will do a plug for him. Uh, you will get to hear him this week on the Milan Weekly pod, and he'll be recording tomorrow night. My guess is he needs a little extra time uh, to go over those presidential points. Uh, So, Richard, good luck with that. We'll be looking forward to listening. But uh, if you're not, it's not my voice that you're going to hear the entire time. Uh, I did enlist the help of uh, two experts in the world of Calcio, and they're going to uh, help me get through uh, Serie A in Europe, as well as everything that happened in Match Week 10. Uh, I am going to start with the co-host of the State of Play pod. He's a contributor at Football Italia, These Footy Times, Gentleman Ultra. He co-founded AC Milan Brothers uh, he's also featured on The Guardian and AS Roma English. Uh, the, the the name a name a publication he's probably writing for it, and we say ciao to Matthew Santangelo. Ciao, Matthew. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a real pleasure. And uh, yeah,
1: that's uh, I like I said, I like uh, you got you said I'm on uh, quite a bit of platforms and you know publications and stuff. So um, yeah, it's great to be on. And I'm uh, again, I'm happy to you know, be talking about uh, what I love, and that's calcio.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Now you and I did a special uh, Globe podcast for World Football Index uh, last summer on um, the uh, the whole Gigio Donnarumma uh, transfer saga uh, about a year and a half back, and uh, so I don't think we've ever had you on Serie sit down. So you're uh, you're a, a first timer. This is your first cap. Congrats, man.
1: Thanks a lot. Yeah, like I said, I, I remember that we, we talked about. It. I forgot who else was on at that time as well. But it's good to be, you know, just kind of Serie A focused. And of course, um, it's it's a little bit more refreshing to do it after a Milan victory. Of course, I think we'll uh, we'll get into that though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was me. It was me. You did the podcast with me. <laughs> I'm easy to for, I'm easy to forget, so don't worry. <laughs> so my apologies. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, also joining us is a Serie A opinionist, writer, and vlogger. Uh he has done over five hundred pieces for Italian football daily. He's also uh, done some work for uh touchline three sixty-five. Uh he's uh doing a lot of videos as well on YouTube. Uh you know, we'll give him a chance to plug that here a little later on in the podcast. But also earning his first cap with the Serie A sit down. We say Benvenuto to Rocco Fasano. Ciao Rocco. Good evening, everybody.
2: Thank you so much, Frank, for the call up.
0: Yeah, no I'm problem. Honored. No problem. No way. It's an honor to have you guys, and, and and we only get the we only get the people on that know what they're talking about. So,
2: uh, oh, absolutely. And I know that I'm in with distinguished company. Uh, having uh, had several conversations uh, and exchanges with Matt, who's a top guy, uh, really knows his stuff, uh, as well as yourself, Frank. Uh, I've only had the chance to have a few exchanges just over Twitter, but uh, you guys both are great.
1: So uh, amazing to be here. The feelings are mutual, Rocco. Thanks again. I really appreciate that. I mean, you're a good one.
0: Yep, yep. I appreciate I appreciate that, guys. Very much. Thank you. And uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. Let's make sure this isn't the only time we have you on. So, um, so like I said, uh, the scope of this is that uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with uh, Serie A in Europe. We'll get into everything that happened in Match Week Ten, uh, and quite a bit to cover. Twenty nine goals over those ten games. So while there was some big game apparently that went on in Spain, and another you know, rip off of it in France, uh, Serie A just goes about their business and continues to be the most entertaining league in, in all of world football. Uh, so, uh, we will cover that. And then, uh, just at the end guys, we're going to just have, think of something that scares you about Italian football being in the spirit of Halloween. So, uh, uh, do think about that as we go on, but we will begin, uh, with the European roundup. Serie A in Europe was once again, uh, a relative success. Um, we had Juventus uh, going to Old Trafford and beating Manchester United by a goal to nil. Uh, Inter uh, losing at the Camp Nou at Barcelona, two goals to nil. Uh, Roma taking care of business against CSK, Moscow 3-0. Uh, and Napoli fighting to a 2-2 draw with PSG. Uh, over in the Europa League, Milan losing at home uh, to Real Betis 2-1. And then Lazio going on the road and winning at Marseille 3-1. So those were the results. And uh, we're going to collate this with some uh, topics that I brought up. And I'm going to start with you, Matt. Um, Let's look at the Champions League first. Uh, What result did you find to be more impressive? Juventus going to Old Trafford and winning 1-0 or Napoli going going to Paris and being able to gut out the 2-2 draw?
1: I think Napoli getting. I mean, it's tough to say because I think Napoli had a had a lead and they actually played the better half, the first half. They were in more or less control of the game, um, and I think again that late winner, or late equalizer, excuse me from Tim Maria, kind of spoiled a uh, what would have been another uh, impressive victory. Of course, if you recall, they obviously beat Liverpool, which was very impressive for them as well. So I think again, if you literally look at it, you, Napoli are in pretty good position. They were, uh, and when the groups came out, everyone was looking PSG, Liverpool, very difficult to get out of that. Of course, they look; they have to like themselves, and in, in terms of getting past this group stage again, it's going to be difficult. We have to see how things kind of transpire the uh, rest of the way throughout this group stage. But nonetheless, a good result for them. I think again, if you really look at Juve, they were probably the favorite team in that, given the fact that Manchester United um, are going through their obviously their difficulties and their. Uh, they're the, the toxic to, uh, toxicity at the bench, if you will, with uh, Jose Mourinho and everything going on there. Not to mention they're really not that playing that well. So for them to win one zero, I think it was uh, or get a victory rather was expected. But I, don't, I think you know Rocco would probably agree with me on this as a Juventus fan that the 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 mentality in the second half was completely off. I think the first half they probably should have had multiple goals. They dominated the first half, and then the second half was a completely different. Um, Juventus' side, which really, again, really made this game closer than it needed to be. I think Juve probably could have had two, maybe three goals in this. So if I'm I'm going to go by who had the better result, I think it's going to be Napoli. I just think that Juve has a lot more to give, and I think they probably should have uh, handled that game a lot easier.
0: You drink a lot of coffee, don't you? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to keep up. (laughs) So... First-hand cramp ever in the three years I've done sitting, i sit down. So no worries. I, I, I drink a fair amount of it myself. Uh, Rocco, uh, you agree with Matt or do you want to take another angle? I know you're a heathen teeny. Yeah no.
2: <laughs> no, absolutely. And uh I suppose I I could bring the Homer uh aspect to it and uh and kind of flex my uh, black and white muscles and and just talk about how uh, his, the history and the history of uh, of uh, Juventus football especially over the last uh 30 years uh which is the period that I started really following them. Uh and most uh, more concentrating on say the, the nineties big rivalry and back and forth that we've had with Manchester United and, uh, other English sides, Arsenal, Liverpool, we've always had a tough time uh, coming away with a W if, uh, in England. Um, England's always been, even historically for all Italian teams, always difficult to come away with uh, with the win or even a draw uh, in England, and usually then, however, Italian teams uh, would end up winning in in the return lag, especially if it was a, a head-to-head knockout stage type game. So for Juventus to come away with a rare win in... Uh, for at the Old Trafford is something that uh, we can all kind of treasure and we should all treasure. Having said that, uh, absolutely, we have to look at the uh, context. Um, and in at this point in history, uh, and at this point, uh, in the power rankings, Juventus is, and I'm not just reporting this myself, but I've seen it, um, in, in a few spots in, uh, on Twitter, maybe people that are a little more credited than myself. Uh, Juventus are highly, uh, our number, if not number one, they're in the top, Two or three teams uh, in Europe at the current standings. So, alas, the the rankings that truly matter are the ones is the, right after uh, on June first. Uh, you know, in the evening of June first, which is uh, going to be the Champions League final, and whoever comes out there will be the ultimate winner. Um, having said. All that I think that uh, the Parc des Princes had a much uh, presented a much tougher test for Napoli than uh, than the o- Old Trafford did uh, for Juventus, uh, considering the uh, troubles uh, that uh, that uh, the Red Devils were having under Mourinho in this uh, particular fringe of the um, of the of the season. Uh, meanwhile, PSG is just flying. In the in the French league and not doing too poorly in uh, in the Champions League either. So um, you know, if it wasn't for that miracle that Ave Di Maria uh, goal <laughs> uh, yeah. right at the death there with that curling shot, you know, Napoli would have uh, would have come away with a uh, dare I say a deserved win. Even though PSG had their chances to on the one one to uh, to make the game theirs, you know, taking advantage of that momentum. So. Um, you know good on them to be uh clinical in in their execution uh the that merton's goal kind of uh, i recall came against uh, the run of play and correct me if you you know uh, you can fight me on that that's i don't have a problem but uh you know in the end they they made it 2-1 they almost hung on to it till the end and now we have a uh, true dogfight on our hands with on the balance of that Group specifically, Napoli really needs to make a good of uh, home field advantage in the return leg against uh, PSG because um, they'll be away uh, at uh, Anfield uh, in against Liverpool, and that's going to be a really, really tough ground and a true test of the maturity of this uh, Azuri side.
0: And that hits my that hits my point exactly. Um, it right now looks like it's coming down to Anfield. Uh, on match day six. but uh, if they can beat PSG, they go four points clear of them with Cvanus Vezda coming to the San Paulo uh, on match day five. So they could wrap this up before match day six. So uh, right now, what goes down at the San Paulo over the next If they win those two matches, they're through. They're in the next stage and they're in at the expense of PSG, which I'm going to pat myself on the back. that, that I predicted. Is that if Napoli mm-hmm. there was a path, there was a path for Napoli to go through? It was going to be at the expense of PSG, um, not necessarily Liverpool. I mean, it, there, still anything can happen. And yes, PSG is good enough to go to the San Paolo and it's not a win, um, but that's a very difficult ground to go and get a result. Um, you know, so uh, looking at the statistics of this game, uh, you know, PSG certainly had a little bit more of the play. The chances were relatively even. Um, and it overall was a a, real, a, a pretty balanced game. Now, uh, as, as far as Juventus is concerned, um, this was uh, this was impressive. This was a statement. Uh, and to your point, Ruckel, they needed to be able to go to England and get a result and get a win. And they needed to flex their muscle uh, as the best team in this group and to really make a statement as, as being one of the best teams in Europe. Um, you know, others making a case at this point, Barcelona – uh, is certainly going to be a team that, you know, they're going to have to contend with deep into the competition. Uh, and at some point, Manchester City is going to get their legs under them here, um, you know, even though they've kind of gotten off to a little bit of a slow start in this competition. And I still contend that those are the two teams that you they have to watch out for in terms of, you know, going all the way and winning it all. I think everybody else seems to be tripping over themselves. I saw the same thing that you saw Rocco. And I want to say, they had they at the top of that rankings, and they actually had Napoli fourth, um, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. But considering how Serie A have been in Europe so far altogether, it's not terribly surprising that two Italian teams should be in the top four. Um, anything to add on this one, guys? Yeah, no, I, I concur with… Uh
2: with the with Barcelona and uh, Manchester City as being um, uh, you know joining Juventus for the for the top three as of right now. That um, yeah, of course uh, we uh, I, I never uh, will write off uh, Real Madrid who were. Uh, sleeping Giants last year at this point and the year prior to that and then came back to win it all and we saw when we saw that uh, Bayern Munich um, even though they're also having a very very difficult start to their season they've come back uh, they, they they can come back with uh, with a vengeance uh, so I, I really wouldn't write any of those off um, and more importantly I, I'm looking at the at the uh, tables right now at the, the at the various groupings uh, and uh, looking at who's first, who's second, et cetera. And, you know, of course, I'm kind of licking my black and white chops at, you know, well, what might be a, a, a draw, you know, come around, come uh, coming uh, in December. Uh, and I, I'm wondering if uh, being first is really worth it, <laughs> because yeah. I see I see some really strong historic sides there. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, the first, the group stage, uh, vis-a-vis the knockout knockout is a completely different ball game. And a lot happens between December and February.
0: Their possible opponents based on how they do the parameters would be Real Madrid, Lyon, Bayern Munich, Schalke, uh, and Atletico Madrid. Uh, should hmm. the, uh, you know, should the group stage end today, they wouldn't play Manchester United cause they were in their group. And then Napoli and Inter are also sitting in second. They don't have, Teams from the same country play each other in the round of 16. Correct. So um, let's move on. Uh, Roma getting another uh, big win over CSK Moscow. Uh, moving them to the top of the group on goal difference over Real Madrid. Matt, uh, we thought this group was in particular was going to be relatively cut and dry, Real Madrid than, Real Madrid than Roma. But considering Real Madrid's struggles and then getting thumped today in El Clasico, I mean – Are we looking at this now being more, and with the next, with the return match being at the Olympico, do we have reason to believe that it's going to be Roma and then Real Madrid? I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the state of
1: both clubs at this moment in time, I think it's it's fair to say that, you know, Roma do have a really good chance at um, definitely getting a good positive result against Real Madrid. And maybe, again, as you mentioned, top the group. Um, I think that's obviously still going to be difficult because I think if you look at Real Madrid, yes, they're struggling in the league. Yes, they have everything going on with their managerial situation with Lopategui, possibly um, bringing in Conte, even if they do bring in Conte. And I think that's a possibly a, a very good addition for them. Um, I still think that's going to take some time for them to get, kind of you know, assemble, get all the tactics down and, and really ultimately get the identity that, that Conte wants with that team. I think if you look at the, 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 the current form, yes, Roma, you know, in, in, at least in Europe, they look pretty strong. I think they're taking care of what they need to take care of against CSK. I think the previous result was against uh, the Pilsen, if I'm correct. I think they had a pretty you know, uh, easy match there that they handled yep. them. But I think if you look at Real Madrid, despite the fact that they are struggling um, you know, in the league, I don't know what their exact standing is at this moment in time. But I think they're somewhere maybe around fifth, if I'm correct. Uh, you really got to you really got to look at them say you know despite that they still have they're still Real Madrid I think they still have a lot of winning players Gazi Ramos Benzema Asensio, they have class in other positions um, that that ultimately does um, sometimes prevail even if they're not really uh, clicking on all cylinders at the moment in time so I think for me Real Madrid are probably still going to you know, manage to win that group. But I think it could come down to maybe the last game or maybe even a goal differential. I think it could be that tight. But in any case, if Roma can just manage to get out of there, I think it'd be um, a very good accomplishment for them, given the fact that, again, last year they weren't even favored to get out of the group with that. Chelsea and Atletico, made it to the semifinals. So if they're able to kind of get, you know, keep this ball moving, it'll look good for them as, as a team from Italy that is able to make deep runs in back-to-back Champions Leagues. And ultimately, um, you'll give uh, Serie A a lot more credibility as a league that's on the rise.
0: Rocco, do you see Roma closing this out as the group winners?
2: I, I, uh, I do not. I do not. Uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong. They've only played uh, – they've played both Pleasant and uh, CSKA in mm-hmm. Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, Real yeah. Madrid – correct. Okay. Real Madrid came away with a uh, defeat in, Mo- in Moscow. So that's, I think, the the test, the the uh, the very tricky kind of ground is going to be is going to be Moscow. If if uh, Roma comes out of there with the win, um, then then uh, the prospects of them topping the group might increase. However, having said that, um and correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps the the parameters have changed, but I thought that the uh, the discriminating factor uh was first head to head between between the two tied sides. It's not goal differential or has that changed?
0: Cause I'm, I th- I thought it was head to head. I'm looking at the standings and the way they currently got it situated is they've got Roma on top on uh, of Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um and this is UEFA's this is UEFA's Champions League app and it's okay. bas- and it appears to be based on goal difference because Roma's at a plus 5 and Real Madrid is only at a plus 3 and 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 they have Roma first and Real Madrid second yeah I would have thought Real Madrid would be top of the group based on the head to head as well so
2: right Right. right. Well, then if it's if it's gold, because they like to play around with that stuff for yeah. year to year. So if it is gold, if it is gold differential, then uh, and Roma comes away with the win in uh, Moscow, then I think they uh, they've got really good, uh, really good chances. The, the, the beautiful thing about football is that football is fluid. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the sport is uh, is ever changing and uh and and you know from one day to the next you might have uh, Lopetegui that leaves and a uh, Conte that comes in and a side that has completely changed their energy flow so uh you know and uh and there and there we and, you know there goes Real Madrid marching on uh towards uh, yet another Champions League <laughs> yep <laughs> i the,
0: you know what I, I just because they've won it 3 three years in a row but Zidane not there Ronaldo not there i just i i, I can't I can't get around them doing it again. And I think that there's some stronger teams, but you know, I at, agree. at the moment when we're only looking at two or three teams, when we're only perceiving two or three teams to be favorites, you know, somebody else has to jump in there. So, uh, you know, and, and, and make up potentially the last four. So, so we, we shall see. I, boy, I'd, I'd love to see them win the group just, just for the sake of banging the drum for Italian football. But that trip, that trip to Moscow is tough. Um, go ahead and ask Real Madrid and Real Madrid went there without Sergio Ramos. They went out, went there without Marcelo and they went there without Gareth Bale. Uh, But then they come back to the Bernabeu and they have all of them available and they can only beat pills in two one. So, you know, I think that this is kind of a, Roma's in a situation much like where I thought Inter was in a situation in their group. We'll get to them in a second that if you're going to catch Real Madrid, this is the time to do it. Um, Where they're having so much controversy, where they're in, where they're having their issues uh, you know, my thought on Inter trying to catch Tottenham is all of those players coming back from World Cup hangover because it was England, Belgium, and the French national team goalkeeper making up that team. Um, you know, getting them at home on match day one was the ideal spot for Inter. So um, I'm going to, you know, I I think Real Madrid are going to just, are going to nick this. They're going to find a way to, you know, Lopetegui may end up being gone. You know, to your point, Matt, Conte's being Highly, highly targeted now and highly rumored to be the next manager at Real Madrid. And he's going he's to try to right that ship quickly. Um, and that might be at the expense of Roma's prospects of winning this Champions League group. So it's going to be close. Um, they've got to go and get something positive in, in, in Moscow against CSKA. If they do that, then I like their chances a little bit better. Um, next question on uh, the, the Serie A roundup in Europe. Rocco, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, Inter... We harped on this a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Richard, myself, and then I had Nima Tavali on last week uh, on Serie A sit-down uh, to recap the derby. And and one of the things that I suggested with that was that this was not good for Inter to have to play the derby on Sunday night, have to come off of that, you know, th- train in Milan on Monday, and then Tuesday be on a plane to Barcelona and train at the Camp Nou for a Wednesday game. Um, it felt like just a very difficult turnaround for them to have to play a team like Barcelona with or without Lionel Messi. Uh, Do you feel that it possibly could have helped Inter? um, First of all, should Serie A have looked at the schedule and taken into consideration moving the Milan derby, if they, if they even possibly could uh, to say Saturday or maybe even Friday. Um, And if they did, do you think that that might have uh, benefited Inter a little more?
2: Yeah, I think uh, a, a little extra day there might have uh, might have helped things along a little bit for uh, for Inter to prepare uh, the schedule. Uh, definitely uh, put them in a situation where uh, they were forced to choose uh, what game, which game to really focus their their um, their energy on and their strengths on. Um, and definitely, it looks like they had to choose the Derby over. They chose the derby over uh, over the away match at the Camp Nou, which is, you know, of course, going to be hard to to achieve. Um, Milan, you know in, in order to come away you know, with a the win there,
0: Milan didn't choose either. They just took the whole week off, right, Matt? Yeah. Oh, please, I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah, I guess they uh, they. Uh, Kind of took a, they, they kind of just kept sinking after they lost to Inter. They looked very deflated and then of course uh Cotuso got it all wrong against uh Betis. That's kind of my uh short brief analysis of uh you know their Europa League tie. We'll jump in that, you know, that
0: it, shortly. But yeah, go ahead, Rocco. Yeah,
1: no, I mean but the, the nice thing
2: is is that uh you know Barcelona took into uh, account uh Inter's uh poor schedule and, and unfortunate schedules, and they made sure that Messi was out for that game. You know, try to help them out, but you know that did no good. <laughs> a little joke there.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, Matt, uh, uh, can we point to the logistics here? City could have done a little bit better job with this schedule scheduling. Could have looked at this and said, "Hey, let's 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 have this derby a day early." Um, you know, it seems like by all other accounts. They're going to accommodate the Champions League teams and, and get them to play as early as possible. Uh, would this have helped Inter a little bit? I mean, I, I, and I'm looking specifically at Brozovic having to have a quick turnaround recovering from a knock. And Peticic was another one that, uh, that Nima was concerned about uh, when we talked about this last week.
1: I mean, I think you know. You know, getting back to your the main question here is you know to make it to make it brief. I mean, you can can you really rely on Serie A to do much of anything right in terms of scheduling? In terms of, I mean, they seems like they drop the ball with certain situations, such as this. So, I mean, if, to expect them to, uh, to get this right, to least favor their uh, their own sides in Europe, I think it's kind of silly. I think I, I've typically associated and i have typically known to watch the, the Milan Derby on a Saturday. I think that's kind of been more customary in recent years. And I think that's always just benefited teams that, you know, of course, Inter and Milan haven't been, really been frequently playing in the Champions League recently. Of course, Inter, uh, good for them. They're in there now. But in any case, you know, we really haven't had to worry about that situation of Milan and Inter, um, you know, having to plan for those games, typically, again. Europa League, so they get those Thursday games that they, they had to worry about, so three to four days, is plenty of time to do that, so I think now of course, maybe maybe Serie A forgot that Inter was actually back in, who knows uh, just a little bit of a dig at Inter, perhaps, but in any case, yeah, I think in in, in terms of scheduling, in all seriousness, I think yes, that would, definitely would have helped them, um, especially to your point about getting some of their players uh, fit and a little bit given that extra day of rest to kind of recoup- recuperate, and um, get their legs underneath them and, and turn in a better performance again in a tougher environment like Camp Nou. Despite not having Messi, of course, Barcelona are still a great team. Uh, they still have the household names. They still have guys who can, you know, uh, change a game on its head in an instant. Uh, Dembele, Arthur, who's a fantastic player great goalkeeping. I so I think again an extra day would have certainly helped Inter but I think if you ask most Inter fans they'll definitely take the derby victory sure especially the the way in the way it came.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um Frank a...
2: Frank one more thing if I may on on that. So they were coming back in the derby they were coming back from an international break. A lot of the South American players uh usually fly in on at that point like Thursday. Mm-hmm. So they're still out of it on friday playing on sat even playing on friday I, i would say is is an impossibility saturday eh, all right saturday is possible saturday is doable uh but i don't know maybe maybe as far as other uh you know tv scheduling and trying to get uh the most attention uh for this game and the most kind of viewership maybe it made sense more to have it on to have it on uh Sunday. But yeah, sure, Saturday could have been an alternative. And to be fair, um correct me if I'm wrong, interplay on Wednesday, correct? That's usually usually on sun usually se- Sunday Wednesday is is uh so for Wednesday games the the teams will play on Sunday. Uh and for uh Tuesday night um Champions League pl- um teams though like they they will play those teams will play their domestic uh their prior domestic game on the saturday it's is typically the way it's unless we're talking about like a champions league semifinal or something really big and then you know the club will ask the league for you know to make a special dispensation uh and maybe play the game That that uh, their domestic league game the day prior, so that's when we've seen, say, Juve or when Milan went deep in the Champions League a few years back, uh, playing on Friday, instead. So you know, I think at this stage, group stage, all things you know considered, yeah, Sunday it 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 was fine. I think I think it was fine. It it could have could have been could it have been Saturday? Sure.
0: I, I I I. I think I remember the Derby, the Milan Derby on a Friday once uh, sometime in the two thousands when Milan were deep in the champions league. Um, they won and it was uh, a who scored and I can't remember what year it was. Uh, but, um, but off the top of my head that I remember that you know, they, they go as early as a Friday and that was, that was rescheduled. So it was kind of odd, uh, you know, to see that on a Sunday and then Inter being forced into this kind of schedule. Uh, I don't know if it would have changed the result going to the camp. No. And I don't, think they would have gotten a draw or a win or anything like that. But, you know, something to give them at least a little bit more help, I guess. Uh, our our producer and recorder today, Adam Brandon, who is uh, stepping in in that role for Richard, did chime in, uh, sent us a message saying that UEFA rules do seem to suggest it is head-to-head for the Champions League group stage if two teams are tied on point. So um, perhaps it's perhaps they just do it on goal difference now, and once they've completed that second game against each other, that's when that head-to-head will formally kick in. So... Um, no, Adam. Thanks for that nugget. Um, but uh, let's move on. Uh, now let's look at the Europa League results. Milan losing at home, two-one to Real Batiste. Rocco, I'm going to ask you this. I, Milan Twitter has a special place in my heart. Um, I'm sure it does for Matt too, because um, <laughs> you know, it's just like so, <laughs> sometimes we have to sometimes we have to hold their hand and we have to walk with walk them through things. Um, they, they get, they get irate over things and they get, and and the, and, and what they get irate at tends to be a little bit misguided. but I'll ask you as somebody that didn't have a dog in that hunt on Thursday, I mean, is it's all about finishing top two and qualifying for the next stage. Is this loss to Real Batiste really that big a deal? No, uh,
2: I frankly, uh, and I do speak to, uh, to some, to some of my, uh, uh, Milan loving friends here in Canada, uh, particularly the uh, Toronto Milan Club Toronto president and the Milan Club Montreal president, who are good friends of mine. And I posed this question to uh to Marcello and I said, you know, like, okay, so what happened? It's, it's, what what is the big deal anyway that you guys lost this game here? I mean, is uh will you guys go through to the next round anyhow? Right. And currently sitting second. So you know the sky is not falling. Uh, there will be opportunities for for Milan to uh, to continue doing well in the in this group and to to pass the uh, and to go on into the next uh, stage. Uh, you know whether whether Milan will then advance and go deep into the Europa League uh, is a crapshoot because there's always the. Um, the uh the joining of of third place finishers uh the, the so-called relegation relegated uh, Champions League sides that join yep. the uh the Europa League and of course that's when that's when the real deal uh, Europa League starts and uh that it's it's all left to be seen. Um, I was um, I was what was shocking, however, and it was kind of um, it was not so much uh, from a pragmatic point of view. And as far as at the end of the day, the points matter. Uh, that is true. But it's just the way in which Milan lost this match. I mean, I saw ca- countless um opportunities for Sanabria to, to make it two and three and four uh yeah. in the first half. And um, you know, I watched the game, uh, and you know, I was of course I I pulled for Italian sides in uh in Champions League, no matter what the stripes, uh and and they're usually stripes. <laughs> uh but uh you know I, I was I was disappointed to see uh to see so many so many chances given up to uh to betis and uh and so little to be being produced on the other end of things it just the team just looked on uh, un- like it was coming undone unglued at every uh scene
0: matt uh a a lineup that has both bakayoko and borini and it is always going to be a recipe for disaster um and zapata that-
1: too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Zap- oh yeah oh yeah lord zapata we can't forget him i forget um, him. Right? yeah uh you know, all you needed, all you needed was to start a Bate, and it would have been confirmation that Milan were going to lose the game. Um, but uh, they, they started Calabria, which gave me a little bit of hope. And uh, uh, but I, this isn't a big deal. I mean, right now, it, it's, you don't, you know, there's an old saying: as, as long as 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 long as the sausage is good, you don't care how it's made. And as long as Milan qualify, um, as long as Milan qualify. Who cares how it's done, right? Just qual. My 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 two priorities has always been this with the Europa League with Milan, and it was like this last year: qualify and then don't don't get anybody important hurt in these games.
1: I mean, yeah, I think again, you know, I think Rocco made uh, some valid points. You know, obviously, you, if you really look at their group, they should have no issues uh, getting out of this group. You know, finishing first or second, whatever the case may be, and obviously continuing along with this Europa League journey. Of course, last year they finished; uh, they bowed out in the round of sixteen versus Arsenal. Um. So, again, I think if you're a Milan fan, you really want to see um, this team do well in the Europa League because it is a European competition. Yes, it's not the main European competition that you associate with Milan, but you still want to see them do well. And ultimately, maybe this becomes an avenue into the Champions League with, a, with a, you know, if you're able to win the tournament. But I think the biggest thing for me with this game, and you could kind of compound it with their performance, overall performance in the game against Inter. And I think, again, which, uh, Matteo Benetti made a, a great point on this. It wasn't so much the result it was the actual performance the 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 approach to inter was awful in my opinion the last 20 minutes they didn't really try to go for an actual victory whereas inter were really pushing guys forward and really trying to you know go for the win and i think that was a credit to spalletti he really didn't take his foot off the gas and i think that's why inter ultimately got the result uh, that they wanted from this the same thing with again you know in against yeah, betis you look at these matches, and I know we typically talk about the Europa League against some of these you know, oppositions where you really can't put too much credence into them and too much uh, too much stock into them, if you will. But when you have guys like Bakayoko, Borini, Zapata getting minutes, you want to see at least some of these guys maybe try and get some confidence, build some positive form, especially guys like Borini and Bakayoko who do get minutes for Milan in Serie A. I think, again, you see how much Gattuso is using Bakayoko. You'd like for him to have a maybe a decent, good game, get the monkey off his back, get the fans off his back, and kind of build some confidence. But we're just not seeing that. And you can even talk about Pepe Reina off the off the, the mistake that Donnarumma made in the derby. Um, of course, there was many issues with that final play where Icardi scored the match winner. But you had Pepe Reina step in, and then he didn't look that that sharp either. So I think that's really what it was. If Neil would have lost this game 1-0, maybe again... Uh, uh lochelso or sanabria or wherever case maybe got a, a lucky goal or it was a one zero game But milan played an overall decent game and they again they rested some of their players i think milan fans would have been okay with that but i think it's more of the actual performance in that game especially yeah. at this time because you really want to start to see the milan build confidence and get into a good rhythm we saw what they were doing entering the international break with a three-game match win streak or excuse me a three-match win streak and you wanted to see them continually put things together. We saw that last year when Cotuso stepped in, how, how streaky they were in the sense they were able to string together victories, keep the, pressures on the uh, pressure on the teams above them and the teams below them to get results themselves. That's what I think Milan fans are most disappointed with these some of these results is it's just not so much the result. It's the actual performance on the pitch. And I think that has to be elevated to a, a, a much higher level so that Milan actually have, um, you know, can fulfill their objectives of being a top 14. Because right now, I think, yes, the table looks pretty friendly. They have a game in hand that they'll play this week on Halloween, I believe, against Genoa, the makeup from match day one. But you really want to see them get to get into a rhythm, and you really don't want to see them fall into that same hole that they did last year, where when Catuso had all those results, it was just too much of a hole to climb out of, and they
0: weren't able to get top four like they expected. Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the, the result—if they would have gotten, it would have been just a feel good, and it would have been like, okay, we can, you know, it'll be nine points from nine, and now we can look at these last three games, and especially the home match against against Doolan on match week five. It's okay, I, we can totally changed the squad for that game. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's not being disrespectful to them, but uh, you know, I think that that's all I would have gotten out of it. I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and moved on. I mean, but it was just kind of silly to see people thinking that Gattuso should be sacked for oh, no, Milan should against <laughs> for a good, yeah, and I'm not going to sack Gattuso over a, over a over a Europa League game that, you know, when there's still an opportunity to qualify. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of people <laughs> are special? jumping the gun.
1: That's just me on Twitter in a nutshell, though. They just say, oh, now it's time, Catuso out. Because and, and they, they see Conte being linked with Real Madrid and they're thinking, well, we got to act now you know, as if Conte's oh, going to oh, choose who? right now. Like, it's, it's silly. People, the things that people think of are, are silly. It's silly. They don't think logically, and that's it's, the problem. You just, just have to kind of siphon out the kind of the BS <laughs> and think of like, oh, the logic behind it.
0: we got to beat Real Madrid to Antonio Conte. You, you're not going to beat Real Madrid to Antonio Conte. I'm, seriously. I mean, it's just the delusion of and, and, and I love reading some of the some of these tweets. It's it. It, uh, it gets me through. It gets me through bad days. But um, it's just if, if his name's linked to Real Madrid, aim a little lower because you're not getting him. So we're not at that. Milan have not gotten back. There was a time where Milan was at that point. I remember I lived those days. I remember those days. Okay, but Milan's not there. I mean, Leonardo, Maldini, it's great that we have them back in, the ho- back in house. All right, but this is still going to take some time, and, and, and we're not in a position where we can say we have a right to Antonio Conte yet, not, especially when Real Madrid is talking about. And it was Brilliant. even
1: worse, and before we, you know, we go, I'm sure we're going to move on, but it was the same conversation that people had when uh, Ancelotti like, apparently denied us last year when Montella was on the hot seat and he was about to get fired. You know, Supposedly, Ancelotti was offered the job once he was fired from Bayern Munich, as if Ancelotti is going to come in mid-season and, and try to take over this team, and then all of a sudden the fans are going to yeah. get on him when he doesn't have the results. Like, it's... It's idiotic. Now they're coming now. Some people are saying, oh, I, you know, he chose Napoli over Milan. That's ridiculous. You know, people are just, they don't think, think logically. And I think that's the problem with Milan Twitter. So you have to kind of siphon out the BS and the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the
0: idiots, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You got, I, I'm sure he Twitter's like this too, Rocco, right? Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, I must be one of the odd, I'm an odd Juventino, I think, and it might be my, um, my repertoire and, uh, and, and my, my background and where I come from and how long I've been following Juve. But uh, I think I, with most of Twitter, I have, I have a different kind of uh, understanding of football and a different kind of history of football. Uh, and, uh, you know, the second that I'll that I take a different kind of approach or I question, like, for example, I'll give you a perfect example this weekend, I put it out there and, you know, called the uh, the penalty given uh, to us uh, against Empoli as soft. Uh, and, of course, the Gobi police were all over me in a nanosecond, right? <laughs> so yeah absolutely absolutely that kind of that kind of a deal so it's it's uh it's twitter it's an opportunity for people to uh to vent probably the worst side of them about the opportunity to meet uh many people who i um have been uh you know i I was acquainted with through twitter and you meet them in person and they're absolutely as sweet as pie (laughs)
0: yeah um i don't know let me know if you can hear this raffle can you can you hear that you, can you uh, hear, yeah, I hear something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, ripping something up. <laughs> I'm I'm ripping up the argument I was getting ready to have with you over that penalty. I thought we were going <laughs> to I thought we were going to we clash on that today, but uh, but apparently uh-huh. not. You're you're on the right side of that. You're on the right side of that thinking. So. Well, I can <laughs> so. I can
2: always role play, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you'd be you'd be faking it. We want your we yeah, want your best and most be. real takes here on, on mm-hmm. Serie A sit-down. So there there goes that. Uh, we don't have to argue about that. Uh, finally, and, and Rocco, I'll start with you. I mean, Lazio. I mean, it's just, they, they, they struggle with Apollon. They get blasted at Frankfurt. They go to Marseille. I thought Lazio was going to get it handed to them. Um, and I know Marseille didn't have uh, Tovan, but they had Payet. They had Mitrolu. uh You know, they had some pieces that were going to cause Lazio some problems, but then they go and they win the game. Uh, and, and they win it rather convincingly, 3-1. I mean, is it say, Lazio is... Easily the most Jekyll and Hyde of Europe of these European teams, aren't they?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean uh, and even even the the way in which they uh, they achieved that Apollon uh, victory, you know, there it was they, they struggled. You're right, and uh, inexplicably after that they yeah they they uh, they dropped the next uh, Europa League game in uh, Frankfurt in a, in an awful awful way, and then you're expecting them yeah to go into uh, into Marseille and saying all right well you know this is it if uh, if one plus one equals two then Lazio's gonna is gonna drop this one big time, and sure enough they. They walk out of the um, uh, melodrome with a uh, fantastic win, uh, and now they're you know well set and, and well poised to uh, to pass this uh, this uh, st- group stage and to go into uh, advance to the next round. Um, you know it, that's this is a thing with of They they're t- this entire season. They have been. They've had their best players. Uh, not uh, really uh, perform really well. I mean, you've had you have Immobile, who's who's ACDC is a little on, and a little off. Uh, you've had um, SMS uh, Minocchio Savage, uh, mostly off, uh, as well as um, uh, Luis, Luis Alberto. So, and, and who were basically the players that took them on the brink of uh, gaining a Champions League berth last year. Um, having said all that, it overall. They're well set in their Europa League. So they are sitting second with a, I believe, uh, three point, uh, if not, no, it's more than that, more points than that, four or five points advantage over the third place team in their group. And, uh, you know, if things go well tomorrow for them, they will, they would leapfrog Prague Inter into third spot. And this is on the heels of a struggling beginning of the season in which they haven't had the easiest uh, um, schedule. Um, you know they've, they've they dropped the first two games. You know, and they've had to play Lazio, and they've had, sorry, they've had to play Napoli. And they've had to play Juve. Um, so uh, this is a side that, in the economy of the uh, of the of the season, and the rest, as it, as it goes on, um, and as they start to play those easier sides, uh, you know, and they start to getting the, you know easy sides playing in Rome at the Olimpico and you know, getting past them and once you know sms and we uh, said start waking up this is a team that uh people we should look out for it's kind of a, a bit of a sleeper a bit of a sleeper team you know it's it's pulling up next to you it doesn't have any racing stripes it doesn't have uh you know all the hydraulics going up and down but you know it'll just blast right past you and you're not even expecting it
0: yeah it just seems the way they're it just seems the way they're set up i mean it's just like it's it, there's a lot of extreme to Lazio. Either they're going to win convincingly, or they're going to get blown away convincingly. Um, they've had a few one nils sprinkled in there, at least in the city. I schedule Matt. Uh, your thoughts on on Lazio? I mean, we're, we're Milanisti. It could be it, it could be more frustrating to be Lazio supporters this, this day and age with with how all over the place can be. So you know, talk about that a little bit, but then also follow up. One of the things that Richard and I were talking about with Sergei Milinkovic Savic does he strike you as somebody that's playing like why am i still here i mean, it's, it's 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 interesting
1: i think if you if you if we if you look at the entire situation there's the summer Saga that never came for him, right? Because I think you really saw you know, how many teams were interested in you know, all the, the rumors and everyone was saying, oh, you know, he's a 100 million euro player. Juve were kind of interested in him. You heard Man United, Real Madrid, but no one, was seeming to, uh, no one seemed interested in anteing up that much money for him, right? So now he stays and all of a sudden he looks like a, a shadow of his former self, or at least from last year. He's not that same effective player again. Of course, things can change. I think you know everyone's going to look at the lasting impression and the lasting uh, effect he has at Lazio. If he turns it on in the Europa League and he has a great, um, you know, maybe second half, maybe he finished January onward. He's he's great, and then maybe even Lazio qualify for for top four i think obviously there's going to be teams that you pay a lot of money of course lotito is a, kind of a maniac with that he's going to want a ton of money for him i think the the fees that he was asking for even immobile i think there was rumored that 60 million or 50 million from from milan when they were looking for a striker before they got higuaín just goes to show you that i think you know milinkovic savage could be um you know, he's going to cost any team quite a bit of money, regardless of, of what his form is. Having said that, I think our team. If you look at Lazio this season, I think they're a little bit better equipped to qualify for top four and to make a deeper run in the Europa League. Yes, they did lose uh, Stefan De a fundamental piece to their back line, but Aturbi uh, is a good leader. He's a good defender overall, and he's his uh, obviously has an even better story behind his his uh, um, you know his revival in his career. But if you look at Lazio, they have a lot of pieces that haven't quite ticked yet. And I think if you look at the yeah. grand scheme of things, a lot of these players at Correa, uh, Berisha, we haven't really seen much of yet. I think once you start to get a lot of those players in and ticking, it wouldn't be surprised to see Lazio hit another gear. And I think, as you just mentioned, they are, um, you know, quite close to Inter for top, for that third spot, even when not being in the best, uh, best form of the season. So, um, definitely going to make this 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 race for top four more interesting i think lazio or team again it's too difficult to judge because you know as you guys just mentioned some days some days they look very impressive with a 3-0-4-0 win and then other other games they don't look so much as impressive you know they maybe they lose 2-0 and you know really, really kind of question what type of team we're going to get on a regular basis so i think it's kind of week to week with them but um yeah, and Zagi's a great coach I think if you know if it, they truly have the uh, the manager to do it the, the the pieces to do it it's just going to be a matter of whether they can put it all together at the right time and be consistent enough over a long uh, stretch of the season because I think that's kind of the biggest question surrounding them.
0: Maddening as they are, they're in they're in a position to qualify through the Europa League. They're fourth in Serie A, uh playing Inter on Monday. With a win they'll jump them and be in third. Uh so uh, I guess it can't all be that horrible to be a Lazio supporter. So uh, that was our Syria roundup on Europe. Uh, let's move on to match week 10. All right. And there was a big, uh, marquee game that took place on Sunday night between Napoli and Roma, a bit of a derby of sorts. Um, and, uh, the last couple of seasons, uh, Roma had actually won this fixture. Uh, And it was interesting in the two, I think in both seasons that Roma won this fixture, Rocco, um, they, it was like Napoli were flying, Roma were struggling. And then this fixture happens and Roma wins it. Um, And it, it had that kind of feel again, just because Napoli was coming back from a, an exhausting game against PSG. Roma had an extra day, all that other stuff. So I picked this to be a shock. I thought that Roma would win this game and, and they almost pulled it off, you know, just kind of, the, the weirdness of of this uh, of, of this uh, rivalry, if you will, between Napoli and Roma over the last couple of seasons, because the away team seems to get something out of it every time I watch them, or is it just me?
2: Yeah, no, I I was uh, to be honest, yes, I remember Roma winning uh, winning this fixture uh, a few times. Um, you know, of course, on the balance, uh, Napoli has uh, almost uh, always come out with a win. Uh, at home, as they, uh, as I think, that's basically the record against every single team. Um, because I mean, there's historic, uh, historically, historically a good, great side. Uh, In Serie A, Uh, but I was, uh, to be honest, I was, I was surprised. I I would, I called uh, for this one uh, for Napoli to win this game, and uh, on the balance of play and as well as uh, the statistics, they, they, they would uh, lean towards, uh, towards me being correct. If this was a, uh, if this was a a boxing bout, you know, maybe maybe, uh, there would have been a technical knockout on uh, in Napoli's favor. Uh, Having said that. Having said that, when the ball goes in, that's the only thing that counts. And, uh, you know, Napoli scored three or four goals uh, and only one of them counted. Uh, Many of the getting offside on many uh, occasions. I don't know if that if that was just dumb luck, uh, Roma's dumb luck or really well employed um, uh, offside trap. So uh, but I think that Napoli absolutely deserved to win this game. Roma allowed a a ton of opportunities for Napoli, a ton of shots, 26. Um, Napoli created 27 ch- uh, scoring, uh, 27 chances um, and, uh, and was, and looked dangerous for a long, long time. In the second half, there were entire periods where um, I was left with the distinct impression that uh, Roma was absolutely dead, uh, physically drained, had nothing left. Dzeko, was basically just walking and just was dominated uh, by uh, by Koulibaly, uh, mm. especially especially in the air. So I, I think that Napoli, this one here, they, uh, Napoli fans should feel hard done by coming away only with a point. Albeit, they they uh, they uh, scored the tying goal only in the 89th minute.
0: It was uh, Stefan el who would put Roma ahead on 14 minutes. Uh, and then it was pretty much napoli uh setting up shop in, in Roma's third of the pitch uh, for just about the rest of the match. There was another chance in the first half for Aiden Jekyll where he was able to break free um, uh, and, and miss. That, that could have put Roma ahead 2-0. Um, and then Mertens came on as a substitute, uh, rescues this game and wins in the 90th minute. Matt, I tweeted uh, somewhere around the 75th minute of this game. I said there's shit housing." And then there's whatever this is that Roma's doing because I think it needs a new term. Do we have a new term for this? Because I, because shithousing thinks this was bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, I don't know what term. I guess we'll have to kind of think that one over. Maybe sleep on it a bit. But I, I was watching this game, and you know, it was it was kind of strange because you you, you typically have, with all the firepower that Napoli have. Um, and you factor that in with, again, as uh, Rocco, you just mentioned, uh, Frank, how Roma just looked deflated at some point. You were saying, OK, Bro- and Napoli are going to get this game. They're going to get a goal and then they're going to get another and going to win in this game 2-1. But it just, again, again, maybe a little bit of luck. I saw a couple can't cha- uh, chances where Mertens, uh, you know, they, they did great build up, everything. And then there was an offsides and it's just you, it got, again, it looks like Roma kind of... Uh, Scattered away with just a point. And again, for Napoli, it's obviously a bigger uh, a bigger uh, loss in the sense that a draw doesn't really help their case to stay within reach of uh, Juventus. Of course, Juve gets the win over Empoli. Now, Napoli drop points in a match where they. Definitely, definitely were the better side. I think that's without question. They deserved uh, more than a point in this one. Again, you got to finish your chances. And then ultimately, uh, they didn't make them count. And as Rocco just said, it doesn't matter if they got to they cross the line. If they don't, then it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant at that point. So I think Napoli are, are escaping this one, thinking, uh, you know, we kind of dropped the ball here. We probably should have handled this one a lot better. Uh, when I saw with Roma, I think it was kind of strange too. I don't know why they were, looked so fatigued. Uh, De Rossi going out didn't help them. I think he was probably uh, their best player uh, for better parts of this match. Um, and I think again, colder K- off and as you just mentioned with Jeco, it just looked like a game that really Napoli really had no excuse to not get full three points from. Of course, they get a one-one draw here, and, and uh, Napoli fans definitely um, again it's it, it's a it's a tough match because of the opposition. But if you're a Napoli, you definitely want three points there, and I think you uh, you you feel a little bit uh, you know disheartened that you couldn't get that.
0: Um, I, I mean, cause they weren't even, this wasn't just watching Roma try to look like a team that was trying to defend three points. I mean, it just, it, 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 it I mean, they look like they clearly just weren't even in their comfort zone. It's not how they want to play.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I mean, and it was just evidence because how many clear chances did Lorenzo Insigne have, um, that he fluffed? I mean, Insigne himself could have bagged at least four goals in this game, um, you know, how many cha- – you know, the, the, Fabian Ruiz getting involved. Um, uh, You know, Mertens obviously, you know, brought about a different dynamic. I mean, and then the fatigue factor. I mean, Manolas went as far as he could, and he was – he was he ended up hobbling around. Daniele De Rossi checked out the first half because he's Daniele De Rossi. Um, I, I, apparently an injury, but I think he kind of <laughs> – <laughs> I almost want to say that the old, that, that the, uh, the old veteran's saying, screw this. I don't want to, I don't want to keep chasing shadows here for another 90 minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of this thing. Um, that's at least the way I thought of it when I saw it, when I saw Did getting ready to come off, but, um, it's just, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I kept saying over and over and my, my son and I were watching it and I said how Napoli haven't gotten four or five goals in this game. I don't, I just, I don't get it uh and yeah the, the the offside goals there was a number of them that were called back um R- Rocco I, I gotta I gotta say that uh through all of this I, I'm trying to pick who the best player was on the pitch in this game and I I, I land between two players Jose Calejon and Fabian Ruiz and I as, I'm very impressed with Fabian Ruiz and what he's done for Napoli so far this season I'm going to put Calejon just ahead of him but I'm going to open it up to you two guys and uh, give me who you guys thought who were the, was the man of the match in this game.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I, I was really, I'm really impressed by uh, Fabian Ruiz, and it might just be the. Uh the nuance, right? The fact that uh, the novelty, the, the fact that he's uh, he's new to our league, but yeah. um, and and I did uh, was and I was expecting him at the beginning to get a little more playing time with Napoli, to be honest, and to be given mm-hmm. the keys to the midfield of uh, of the of Ancelotti's team. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, and I think uh, you know Ancelotti really knows his football really well. Uh, it really allowed him to have a few weeks t- in order to integrate himself in order to adapt to uh his environment no, not only uh Napoli per se but the city the country etc. uh and that takes that takes a little bit uh and now he's he's slowly but surely you know um uh integrating him into the team uh on a piecemeal basis and um I really like what i see i I was expecting, even just physically as a presence, for him to be a different kind of player. But he really covers a lot of ground, uh, and he has the potential to to really become dominant uh, as one of the do- dominant players in uh, in Serie, a. alongside uh, uh, alongside Alan, uh, who Napoli also has. You know, they're they're destined for great things. Uh, both uh, domestically and and in Europe, in my opinion. So tonight, um, uh, you know, Fabian Ruiz, I thought was uh, was um, above above average, definitely. And the one the one play that sticks in my mind is when he dribbled through four players and then mm. decided to dish off the the ball to uh, I believe it was Insignia who missed who yep. missed from. Uh, from about seven or eight yards away, um, and I suppose that the one the one mistake in that play was for him not uh, selecting not to shoot with his right foot. I I, which kind of suggests to me that uh, that's not his favorite foot.
0: Well, he scored a belter with his right foot last week against Udinese. <laughs> okay, so. so then so then he, so then he's just so then he's just really uh, really. Uh, I'm selfish. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what it could be. So I just, I, I have Cali ever so slightly ahead of Ruiz from out of the match, but Ruiz was terrific in this game, Matt, Matt, who, who, who stuck out to you? Who's the best player in this game?
1: I think it was Ruiz. Marco uh, you know, Roc- touched on most of, the, most of what I was going to say. But uh, you know, Ruiz, again, came over from Real Betis uh, for €30 million. Euro, uh, activated his release clause So typically a team like Napoli, who don't typically flex their financial muscle all that much. Of course, Aurelio De Laurentiis really doesn't do it unless, of course, some, some tra- uh, subtractions are, are in play here. They lost Jorginho. Fabio Ruiz comes in, a younger player, um, a promising player I, from one, from those who I talked about, uh, talked to uh, talked with about him prior to his move. A guy really versatile, a midfielder, but also a guy who can play on the wings outside, you know, play as you know, d- as a controller in the midfield. You know, now he's really starting to kind of you know let his talent shine through and take over the midfield. Um, you know, uh, long term, I think again you're really you're really going to start to see you know as the season progresses, and I think um, you guys can agree or disagree with me on this. Is um, Hamstricks is going to get his minutes, but I think you're going to start to see uh, Ruiz or Diawara get a lot more opportunity uh, to feature. I think they're obviously the future. Uh, you know, two of the main peaches moving forward to that midfield, both very young, obviously, and very gifted. But Ruiz was fantastic today. Again, a guy who who's really good with his feet, can make, he can drop those long balls, he can dictate play, he does all the things that you really look for um, in a player. And again, he, I'm I'm kind of stunned that he didn't get the minutes he, had, uh, you know, that that I expected. Early on in the season, maybe that's Ancelotti kind of testing some of his players, seeing what fits. And again, of course, um, he's he has a lot of options in the midfield. Zielinski, Diawara, Hamshik, Raj, Alan. I mean, the list goes on and on. So maybe that's what, it, what, what was the reason for uh, Ruiz really only being tested sparingly. But in any case, again, we're seeing what, what he can offer. Um, and uh, as Rocco just mentioned, uh, maybe he is a little bit unselfish. Maybe he has a lot more to give in the offensive side of things. But in any case, a really good talent. And I think he was the uh, the, uh, the the best
0: player on the pitch for me. And I'm not going to fight Frank, anybody who I'm not going to fight anybody who thinks Ruiz is the best player on the pitch either. I I'm going to I I had Callejon just ever so slightly, but you know, Rafa, go ahead.
2: If I may, if I may, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, and just how great of a job is Ancelotti doing at Napoli? I mean, it, when when he did sign for Napoli, I thought. You know what? Sadio was the playmaking guy. Um, you know, I'm going to expect Napoli. You know, eventually th- to kind of shed that uh, their their play, and then you know something's going to go off, and you know eventually Ancelotti gonna, is going to is going to fade. But he's really taken. uh he, He's he's truly special. Ancelotti is truly special. He's taking a team that's had. Uh, that that had the great gameplay. He took that, he and he he brought it to the next level, kept the gameplay, got a little more pragmatic with it, perhaps, uh, and uh truly uh, added the rotation, right? The rotation right. that the turnover, I suppose like, people like to use the Italian term, but it's a rotation yeah. between with all the new the, the other players that are getting the, these opportunities, and by doing so, he's keeping it fresh. I mean, right. if if he keeps this up, I mean, Napoli will will not have what we've seen in the last bunch of years, uh, in the Saturday years where you know the wheels fall off and and, and they kind of they melt like snow in uh, in March and April. But uh, you'll see a team that will. Um, be still be fresh, still be physically fresh, and still competing on all on all fronts. So you know, let's not write off. Of course, not in the league ever. Uh, Napoli, I think we're going to have a, a battle uh, until the bitter end. Um, and let's not write them off in Europe either. If they do, or if they do manage whichever competition they end up uh, with, uh, end up uh, in at the end in December, uh, you know, Napoli if they want to. They can. I can see them going very, very far.
0: You know, I'm going to just. Uh, I'm, I'm going to repeat what I have kind of been saying about Ancelotti all along. Just kind of going along. You know, with the first impressions of what I saw, and obviously having having that be Milan's first game, that was you know my first chance to watch. And you know, I I, I saw Napoli play Lazio two the week before. And here's what I'm seeing, and and this is what I've been saying all along with him. He wants to kind of bring what he's comfortable with to this Napoli team, but he also gets that the large majority of them come from a different style of football. And I think that he has an idea of how he wants to go about things, but he also gives these guys the freedom to say, hey, you guys want to go Saudi ball on somebody and want to turn it loose and and you think that's the way to get us back into a game or to win a game, have at it because that's what you know. That's what you've known for the last three years. Go ahead and do it. I'm not going to get in your way. What I'll do is I'll make the necessary substitutions to help make it successful. I'll make the necessary rotations from game to game to what ma- that what makes it successful. So you have is are they are they a departure from Sariball? ball? to an extent, yes. I mean, there's still traces of it. I mean, that's just it's it's ingrained in a number of these players. But what you're seeing here is the a, a manager with much more tactical acumen than than Maurizio Sarri and. and I say this while well, Saudi is doing an amazing job at Chelsea right now. Um, you know, but that's the th- that's the difference between an Ancelotti managed Napoli and a Saudi managed Napoli. Saudi took 12, 13 players and just drove them into the ground like you said. You know, Ancelotti's being a little bit more astute when it comes to that. He gets that these guys come from a cult- a certain culture of football and will give them the freedom to execute that if they think that's what it's going to take to win. And then he goes and he makes the uh, necessary adjustments. That's exactly what I'm seeing out of Ancelotti, and that's why it's worked. So, um, agreed in full. Yep. Uh, I mean, this isn't. I mean, I'm on the Roma side. I mean, Matt, can they be? I mean, at the end of the day, we're gonna. At the end, of, we're gonna go months into the season, and like the most casual city offense gonna. Forget how it actually happened. They're going to look at it and they're going to say, hey, Roma got a point at the San Paolo. I mean, does that seem to be all that Eusebio Di Francesco is concerned about here? I mean,
1: perhaps. I think Roma, again, when you look at it, from Roma's perspective, it's going to be completely different than with Napoli, right? You know, again, Roma going to a difficult venue. Uh, a match they probably should have definitely lost. Roma somehow get a... a, a, a a, a a point here is it seems like a victory for them as well considering the fact that, you know, week to week it seems like you really don't know what type of Roma team you're going to get under Di Francesco uh, you know, you know, I, I talk to Roma fans quite often, I know a couple people friends, long time friends are even Roma fans and they kind of don't really know what type of team or what type of Roma they're going to get on a weekly basis and you kind of wonder, again maybe a a, a point like this is something to say, hey, you know what, we didn't play our best but we got a point of it, let's get out of here, let's regroup, group and it's something to build off of I think, again, Napoli very pretty much could have made this game a 3-0, 4-1 win, but they didn't do it. So you got to look at Roma and say, hey, you know, maybe this is a little bit of luck that we could take with us. Let's learn from this and move forward. So, um, at, look, at the end of the day, I think Roma have enough talent, enough quality to, to last and to be in the thick of things for top four. Um, obviously, we talked about them in their in their Champions League quest, but I again, I really, it's just I don't know what type of Roma we're getting with some of these players. Um, some weeks, you know, Kolarov and Jekyll look fantastic. Other other days, like today, they're really inactive and they're really not influential. So you wonder again, who who's going to show up on a given match day? Are they going to show up for the big games? Are they going to dominate the the more provincial mid table teams and then maybe kind of you know you know be hit or miss versus the big clubs? I don't know. In any case, Roma fans should be happy with what they got out of this one to get in, get out, and, and move forward.
0: Uh, Rocco, is Alexander Kolarov now? I mean, his jockstrap is absolutely embedded in the San Paolo turf after tonight. Um, <laughs> do you find him to be, at his stage of his career, should he be more of a situational left-back for Roma and be used in matches where De Francesco knows he might boss possession a little more, where his <laughs> talent on set pieces, corners, and things like that kick into play? And maybe a a a better defensive left back should be employed in a game like this.
2: Yeah, I I, I strongly agree with that. I I think that at this stage he, he kind of lacks the lungs and uh, legs to kind of to sustain a ninety minute type uh, situation, uh, and uh, and perhaps ease in uh, like a younger a younger left back to kind of. To, to, you know, over, at least over the course of the season. Um, and, yeah, have him, and then eventually phase him out or have him come on as a super sub in order to, yeah, take advantage of his ballistic um, uh, qualities uh, as, um, as far as uh, spot, uh, as far as dead ball situations are concerned. You know, I'm looking at Roma and I'm looking at, at the table and we have Milan, Fiorentina, Sampdoria, Roma, Sassuolo, and... Um, Genoa. So all those teams I mentioned have 15 points, except Genoa has 14 and a game in hand. So you know, out, out of all of these teams here, they're they're all tied for fifth. And you know, Roma and uh, Milan arguably are the real McCoy for, for, for a fifth spot finish. You know, no disrespect to the other to the other teams, but as far as um, as far as payroll and as far as uh, as far as player power you know those are the two teams that, that i see have the, are, are are making a real bid at that fifth spot if not a fourth spot because they're not too far off from from lazio and inter who also have to recoup a game um you know and but, but roma has really struggled uh, at times under under di francesco and then they've gone on to to winning streaks you know di francesco has been dealt a a bit of a hand by Monchi. Uh, one more, <laughs> and after after his after experiences by him and his predecessors under Sabatini, um, you know, it's very very difficult um, for him to find the right alchemy right away with uh, with with a lot of youngsters coming into the fray. I think we have to. I, I feel for for Di Francesco and the work that he has to do, um, and how courageous he's been. With integrating some youth, uh, a lot of it Italian youth into into his side, and, into playing a demanding four three three formation.
0: Hmm. For sure. For sure. So, it, 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 Milan and Roma definitely on the brand names. I, I, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Fiorentina in that conversation. I'd love to see more from them in their away games. Uh, yeah. and, and and with some of the dynamism they offer and. 100%. Uh, you know, just look over your shoulder. Atalanta is coming, and they're coming hard. Uh, I so. I totally agree. I totally agree that Atalanta has this. This
2: table is the Serie table is false. This Serie table is fake news for Atalanta. Uh, Atalanta is uh, <laughs> it should be should be roaring back. I called it um, uh, two, three two or three weeks ago when they only had one uh, still the, the 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 only win from week one in their table. Um, and I said, nope, uh, Atalanta will be coming back, and will be coming back uh, with a vengeance, with uh, consecutive wins. And so far, they're two for two. So good on them. It looks like they shook their their Europa League preliminary cooties. Uh, that that kind of made those those legs rubbery for a while. But now, um, I'm, I'm, I suspect, and I really fear for anyone who's going to go into the Azzurri d'Italia. You're not going to get – you're not going to be walking away with – not many teams are going to walk away with points there.
0: Funny uh, also gasp coming gasp coming to his senses in starting both Papu Gomez and Ilicic uh, from the beginning uh, instead of just trying to play one at a time. So that's that's having a little bit to do with it too. Uh, but let's jump into the other key game of the weekend. Uh, Milan hosting Sampdoria. Um you, you know, as Matt and I were telling you Milan Twitter, the sky is falling. Everything's terrible. This is the game where I would have said, okay, if Milan are this dull and this uninspiring in this game, then yes, we start having that conversation. But if we've learned anything about Gattuso as manager of Milan, it seems like when it's all against him, he pulls something out. He pulls out a win. And I thought I, I in particular, Matt, cause you know, both of these teams very well. You, seem to have a – at least your Twitter suggests that you have a closet crush on Sampdoria, and <laughs> and and you said that they're a little stronger away this season. I don't know if they're – their away form is a little bit better, but I'm not I'm, – I'm, they they wanted Atalanta 1-0, but, yeah, Cagliari did too, and it was an Atalanta that at a time they were having problems, not the Atalanta we've seen the last couple games, and the other – a way when they could hang their hat on was a five no win over frozen only. So I wasn't totally there. I felt like, okay, this is exactly the perfect storm. And this is exactly the kind of game that Milan were going to win, but your thoughts going into this game for both teams.
1: Well, I think Milan, again, they needed to respond, right? I think regardless, you know, again, we've, always, but we've all been talking about uh, they're the only team that doesn't have a clean sheet, right? And I think this was going to be a difficult one uh, for them to do that. Despite, yes, playing at home, you look at a team like Sampdore, who do have, um, you know, uh, some good options. Again, you call Cagliarella, Samponara. They have some you know, good midfield talent, uh, Linetti, Priet. Uh, They have some, even defensively, Tonelli's been pretty decent for them and and, uh, their goalkeeper, Alduro, who's on loan from Juve. So if you look at their team, overall this season, they've been pretty impressive. Um, Caprari, I mean, I think they look top to bottom. They're a team, again, that's going to be right in the thick of things for a Europa League spot. When you look at, again, what they've been able to accomplish on the road this year versus last year, um, again, it's still very early, but I think last year they were one of the top t- uh, home teams, and versus, uh, again, on the road, uh, you know, they were one of the worst. I think if they're able to find a middle ground, I think they're going to be right in the thick of things, and they're going to be there until the very end, uh, again, provided they can find that right balance. Um, but in any case, if I'm going to go back to Milan on this, they just needed a response, right? And I think there was, uh, at least, uh, you know, to credit Cato, So I think out of the gate, um, I think he was. Uh, Milan fans were already a little bit more relieved in the sense that he decided to tinker with his tactics and went with a four-four-two. We were finally able to see Cutrone and Iguain, uh, the same pairing that we saw combined on that uh, that match winner early in the season against Roma. I'd go at the same time for 90 minutes, right? See what they can do together. Bring you know all the power, firepower they have suso and laxalt some a little bit of speed some creativity there i think that was where gotuso won over a lot of people to begin with yeah i think again there were some things to iron out defensively we're still seeing some of the errors i think on that uh Quagliarera goal uh just caught napping some lapses of concentration things like that i think which is uncharacteristic for guys like uh, romagnoli um and, and even musaki who i, who I rate is a, a pretty decent defender as well of course milan fans hold romagnoli in high regard and so do i um, but I think, again, there's some things uh, that, that Guttuso and Milan have to iron out. Uh, of course, I'm hoping that this clean sheet comes soon and it's not uh, me waiting until 2019 to get it. But uh, in any case, Milan, again, a 3-2 victory against the Sampdoria team, who is pretty sneaky. They um, are uh, a, a, um, a team that you can't sleep on. Obviously, last year, I think they lost both games, if I'm correct, um, to Sampdoria. So, again, if you're a Milan fan, you take the win, you run. Uh, you hopefully, that the Milan can, can string together uh, a victory midweek versus uh, Genoa which is not going to be an easy one, of course. The Genoa, uh, as you just mentioned, Rocco, are right in kind of the thick of things as well in that conversation for Europa League. Um, and they got Piontek, right? So that's my boy. So a little shout-out there to my Polish uh, Polish boy there. But, uh, you know, th- let's see if Piontek is able to exploit um, this, uh, this this struggling defensive unit right now, of course, with Calabria being injured and Caldara probably being out for a couple months. Now Milan uh, are really in a difficult spot here. So you've got to see how Cotuso is able to manage this um, um, and uh, this defensive issue that he could be uh, placed in.
0: You sure, got some, you got some Polish blood in you. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay, have, <laughs> a, have yourself a couple of potchkes with that coffee. That uh, the, 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 uh, the 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 the, the doke can sl- slow you down there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Just to pick up
2: on what Mac was talking about, uh by the way, I'm I'm so glad that I have youngtek on my uh in my pool because uh as Matt just mentioned, you know, Milan has, has yet to concede uh is yet to keep a clean sheet. So I'm uh, really uh, crossing my fingers and keeping uh, the hope alive for my uh, little Polish pistolero on my uh, <laughs> on my uh, uh pool team. So that's that that's 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 amazing. I'm uh I'm, I'm really keeping that uh, that hope alive. But you know, on on Milan, I, now that we come to think of it, and we didn't already we mentioned the Europa League uh, game, uh, the loss, the home loss to Betis was an aberration. Uh, Milan Milan's home record this year. I mean, say what you will about their season, but Milan's home record this year has been solid. The only, for uh, as far from what I can see uh, in Serie, A, the only. Uh, draw. The only thing that non-win they had was a home draw to Atalanta, back when uh, Atalanta was super hot. And you know, of course, they were in. Uh, I'm not saying mid-season form, but while everyone else was getting their sea legs ready, uh, you know, they were already uh, in right in the middle of or uh, right in the swing of things. Already in form. Um, so, uh, it should we really be surprised that they that they came through with a with the win at this point, you know, especially coming off some of that negative energy after the Derby loss, some of that and 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 you know, with a consecutive second loss then to uh to the civilian side. Um you know I, I think that I think that uh Milan's back on the horse now and uh you know they might be looking to make that two in a row against uh uh you know make uh, make two Genovese victims in a row right there. So you know I, I think I think that we saw a little more uh, improvement as far as the the uh, the attack, the attacking play, but they definitely need to work on on their defensive phase uh, uh, in, in order to in order to get uh, that 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 clean sheet that Matt is looking for as a Christmas present.
0: Yep. <laughs> um, goals. Uh, let's. I'm going to run through the goals. Patric uh in the 17th minute uh, put Milan ahead one nil. That ended up being short lived. His former Milan player. Ricardo Sapunada equalized on the 21st minute. Cuadrella puts them ahead on a goal of the week contender in the 31st minute. And then uh, Gonzalo Higuaín equalizes just five minutes later. So a wild first half, uh, capped off. second half. Souza would cap off the scoring uh, with another goal of the week contender there in the 62nd minute. Um, so uh, that's how the scoring uh, shook out. And, yes, I, they took the game to Sampdoria. And, I, and, and Matt, Nima... Talked about the negativity from Milan in the derby last week, and it's now been three consecutive derbies where Gattuso played a lot more negative and played more like what Nima described as a provincial side uh, playing Inter rather than being Milan and trying to take the game and make this the you know make this the derby that it deserves to be. I mean, at some point, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my faith in Reno Gattuso, but at some point, I want to see this kind of bravery. Against the big teams because I think he's the way he set up against Inter. He somewhat set up at the San Paolo against Napoli like that. Just went for the counters and tried to go for the quick goals. You know, didn't try to didn't try to take the game. I mean, if if Milan are going to have issues defensively, okay, Lazio Lazio had a lot of issues defensively, but didn't care. They just abandoned it and decided, hey, we know where our strengths are. We're going to attack and we're going to have a lot of four three games. If 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 our attack can really be that strong, if Milan's attack can really be that strong shouldn't we just be Lazio 2.0 from last season
1: i mean you can make that argument i think again if you look at milan uh they the problem with that going with that philosophy is you know you ha- i don't think they have it's tough to say because if you look at it again you have to be able to win in a couple different ways if you want to be a top four team right i think you you see how inter are able to uh they're getting a couple clean sheets they're winning games late maybe when they don't have their best performance i think that's the kind of the dna and makeup of a team that's deserving of a top four finish um i think milan they're a team yes i I would be all for them being an offensive-minded team and just saying hey you know what we clearly can't defend as strong as we think we can. Let's just go and try to be able, you know, win games five, four, four, three, whatever the case. Uh, but I don't think they have the potency in terms of offensive personnel to do that. Yes, Suso is a great player, um, three goals, seven assists, in Cutrone. But I think again, you only don't have the depth to make that happen, and really to be able to sustain that. And there's some things in the midfield that I think need to be ironed out as well. So I think if, if you're if, Mil- if you're a Milan fan, I think and, and you're looking at what Cattuso's identity as a team is going to be. I think you expect Milan not Milan not to be a a, a a defensive stalwart but a team that can manage it and they can get the, the clean sheets versus a teams like Empoli Cagliari Frosinone where you know it shouldn't be this difficult it shouldn't be this nerve-wracking to watch a game and say, you know Milan they don't they're not going after teams they're holding a 1-0 lead and they're not going for two for three they're trust they're kind of going and saying hey, we're going to sit back and absorb pressure and hope that 1-0 is enough that can't be the mentality that's not the mentality that I know of Milan to be um that Rocco knows of Milan to be what you know of Milan to be again right. Nima I think it hit the nail on the head they got to have a different approach where they're saying you know what we're going to go after teams yes but we're also going to have more confidence to defend and I think again it's, it's a lot of things that are going to be week to week and we're going to, we're going to hope that Gattuso is able to iron them out because if he's not then uh, you kind of continue, it's going to be a reoccurring theme. We're going to be talking about um, a possible replacement, which seems like every month now, because uh, you know, obviously, with me on Twitter, you know, with, with every uh, result. It's magnified. It comes under a microscope, and everyone's going to be just saying, "Well, we need to make a change now before it's too late." So I don't know. I think Cattuso needs to find a way to win in multiple different ways. It can't just be Iguain, Kukulona, well, and Suso scoring goals. That just can't be an effective uh, formula. It's
0: not. So, yeah, it's not sustainable. I just threw that out there as an idea, but I don't know. Weekly, weekly, four or three games. I don't think my heart could take it. Um, <laughs> Ro- Rocco, Rocco, um, Cattuso. I mean, if he wants to be the Milan manager long term, uh, he there just feels like a big game stage fright with it when it comes to playing the big teams. I mean, I can even go back to the Europa League ties against Arsenal last season. He set them up for a, he set them up around negatively in the first leg of the Sensu there, and he got what was coming to him.
2: Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the the, his, the history of uh, of Italian football has taught Italian coaches to, uh, to approach these kind of matches, uh, in a when you're facing a team that is uh, more skilled than you to kind of set yourself up in and in, in to play negative football. So I think he's kind of a product of that, uh, especially also if you if you think about how he uh, sometimes could be projecting his uh, characteristics uh, as a former as a player. He was to the yeah. coach that he is, um, you know, all of that makes perfect sense. Uh, so I think I think as the as the the team that the team that he's dealt uh, grows in, in talent, uh, I think that we'll we we should expect a different kind of a different kind of management uh, from him. I haven't seen enough from Gattuso to truly get a um, a good. Good understanding of what type of, of coach uh, he is. He seems to be somewhat of a of a pragmatist. Uh, he's not too ideological or too theoretical about uh, about football, and that's where I that's where I you know I would throw in the the Saris and the Guardiolas of the world. Um, but uh, it's it's I, I haven't I haven't quite seen enough. To see where he's he is going to develop as a as a coach and, and as as he ages and as he he gets more and more refined of whether he's going to turn into fine wine or or vinegar.
0: Yeah, Matt, quick one on Sampdoria, and then we'll we'll let's we'll move on to the rest of the games here. We're getting a little late, but uh, Gianpaolo, the, the the away games and. Uh, I still don't think it's there. I, you, you, know, you follow Sampdoria a little closer than I do. What's what's missing in these? What's missing in these away matches? What's missing because when when they're at home, they're one of the more unbeatable teams in this league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I, you know, I mean, last year is a little bit of a different case, right? Because they obviously every year it seems like they're losing one big player after another. Two years ago, it was um, Sheik and Skrinyar and then obviously last year was Torreira. So it feels like they can't really, um, you know, kind of be able to keep that that foundation intact and really be finally able to get over the hump and qualify for Europa League, which I think they're still capable of doing um, when they all do, when they do put it together. But I think at this point in time, uh, you know, again, this in this match specifically, I think when you're dealing with a team like Milan, who, uh, you know, they really threw a different approach, maybe a little bit of a curveball uh, at Giampaolo. Maybe he didn't expect a 433 to be there. Um, in any case, when you're throwing two strikers at like Coutrone and Iguain, who uh, are really clinical, I, I, I tweeted this out, that Coutrone, for being 20 years old and really not being a starter, is one of the more efficient strikers in the game. And I think, again, he works tremendously well off Higuain, um who, you know, again, is <laughs> world-class, but it's... it's you know, let's not, you know, deny that. But when you look at what Sampdoria have to deal with, again, Suso, this game could have been a draw. I think, you know, there's, there is a possibility, yes, that Milan, I think, deserved the victory, all things considered. But this game could have went either way. You know, Suso had, was, was doing damage down that red flank, and he had that, that traditional trademark cut inward and got the goal to the back post, and they won the game. So I think if you're Sampdoria, again, it's a result that, look, they're able to expose teams. They're able to score. I think that's that, that, that plays in any league. If you're able to score against teams um, that, that you're going to find yourself in more games than none... Having said that, I think you know they really have to be able to iron some of the things out in uh, defensively. That's been one of the biggest concerns I've had with them in recent years, um, especially after, of course, losing Skriniar, who was a was a great player for them, and obviously Inter are are, are getting the benefits of that right now. Uh, but Tonelli's a decent defender. They have some decent players, but you need I think they need a little bit more um, in that back line. And again, I'm I'm if if I'm being a uh, a homer or semi-homer for Sampdoria. I'm hoping they do a little something in uh, in January to kind of shore up that defensive line because I think again they do have potential uh, this year to be in the thick of things for your, uh, for a Europa League spot. But they got to put it together. They got to be able to sustain this, and um, that's kind of the biggest question mark with them is how much can they uh, you know top to bottom sustain this type of play? Because as you just mentioned, at home they are one of the stronger teams. They really are not fearless, and they really thrive um, at the Marazzi. But when they kind of step outside. But maybe they're not as strong, and for whatever reason, maybe that's down to Gianpaolo not being able to, uh, you know, administer those same ment- that same mentality that he does at home on the road. And I think that's uh, that's something that hopefully comes in time for them. And I think Sampdoria fans are are hoping the same.
0: Yeah, um, if that's because uh, it just seems to be that just seems to be the thing, and they're they're close. And and last season they fell short of a European place. This season. You know they're right in the thick of things again, and you're you're, you're trying to find the things that are going to finally push Sampdoria over the top. Uh, you know, you know certainly losing key players doesn't help their cause, uh, but uh, it seems like you know Gianpaulo keeps the ship keeps the ship steady at least. Uh, you know we're just trying to find some things that can you know give Sampdoria that extra push. Uh, you know to make them a legitimate uh, top sixteen. Uh, you know because it seems like you're season after season at least under Gianpaulo they're they've They've gotten very, very close. So um, I this one's an easy one for me for man of the match. Souzo uh, was class. He seemed to like the system, um, you know, took people on, created his own chances, had a goal, had a you know, great cross for Coutrone. Um, am I getting a fight on this? Did you guys find anybody else better? I, I thought this was Souzo's ga- game here.
2: No question. It was Suzo's for me too.
0: Absolutely. Same. Okay. Easy. Easy. All right, so that's Milan Zabdoria. Now let's move on to the rest of Match Week 10. <laughs> Rocco, we can finally talk about your team now. What, an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but before we do that, because we go in kind of in or- the order that they're played, uh, Atalanta 3, Parmenil, uh, a Galliolo own goal, uh, and then Palomino and Mancini uh, scoring there. Uh, to give Atalanta the win. That is now uh, eight goals in, the, in two games since the break. Uh, like we said, they're, uh, they're working their way back up. Uh, Empoli won Juventus two. Caputo opened the scoring. Uh, you know, the warning signs were there, uh, but still, albeit Empoli leading Juventus, uh, regardless of the situation, is a shock. Uh, but then uh, order would, uh, would somewhat get restored. Ronaldo would, get, would score on a penalty. We'll talk about that penalty here in a little bit. Uh, and then uh, his, uh, his second goal, uh, clearly a goal of the week contender and a winner uh, for the Bianconeri. So that gives Juventus a 2-1 win. Uh, Saturday rounded out with Torino playing Fiorentina to a 1-1 draw. Benassi scoring two minutes in. Uh, and then Alban Lafont with an own goal. Uh, so that ended up 1-1. Uh, going into Sunday, the first game Spall at home against Frozen Frozenoni with their first win of the season, uh, beating Spall 3-0. Chibza, Chiano, and Pinamonte scoring there. Uh, Genoa and Udinese playing to a 2-2 draw. Caught a bit of this game. Uh, Romulo with a penalty. Uh, I don't know what in the world Musa was doing on that challenge and on, on Bessa there. Uh, Lasagna equalizing. Uh, Romero putting Genoa back ahead. And then Rodrigo De Paul with a very nice finish uh, to level the scoring. Another goal of the week. I man. we had have, have a ton of goal of the week contenders this week. Uh, Rodrigo DePaul with a great finish to uh, uh, share the points in that one. Cagliari 2, Chievo 1. Uh, Pavoletti uh, scoring first. And then uh, Lucas Castro, another one that's going to end up on the goal of the week list. Uh, Stepinski uh, getting a consolation goal for Chievo. Uh, and if you're looking at the scoreboard, Piero Ventura still doesn't know how to win football matches. Um, and let's hope he never does. Uh <laughs> Swallow 2, Bologna 2. Uh, it was uh, Palacio opening the scoring for Bologna. Marlin with a cracker uh, to equalize. Uh, and by putting Bologna ahead again before Kevin Prince-Porten gets a penalty uh, to make it 2-2. Um, so those were the other seven games with Lazio and Inter going on on Monday. So, Rocco, um, this is a theme with Juventus. I don't think, you know, clearly. Allegri doesn't care how he wins; he just wants three points any way he can get them. These away matches against some of these bottom half teams—Are you concerned that they have been? I mean, we're talking about Parma, Kievo at the beginning of the season. Are you concerned that they are a little more of a struggle than they need to be?
2: Uh, in in short, uh, not really.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, I think I, I'm used to I'm used to. Um, you know, the, the, the team that walks into the champion, the defending champions uh, that walk into uh, any uh, uh, smaller provincial city that's uh, that's made it to Serie A or may come back to Serie A, uh, recently. Uh, they're in for a fight because, uh, whether the way uh, your Empoli or your Frosinone or your Parma or your Chievo plays against Juventus at home before their home fans, uh, with uh, the arguably the best player in the world, uh, on the uh, against them, uh, well definitely be digging deep in order to make sure that they put on the best performance, uh, to play uh, and, or play the game of their lives. You know, I wish sometimes I was playing, you know, the Chievo that played Atalanta, um, last week, you know, completely lost and under every single, uh, aspect. Um, but no, I mean, the team that shows up is a very motivated side. Uh, and in the words of, Ancelotti, uh, you know, in in football, motivation is everything. Um, so I'm not surprised at all to have seen an Empoli side that was uh, that was playing above what what I've been used to seeing under uh, Andrea Zoli, uh, as well. You know, coming up and with a with a goal by uh, by Caputo, uh, who's who's just you know on a, on a great first half performance where Juventus was. Um, Uh, I wouldn't say resting on their laurels. Perhaps they were just resting period because uh, the, uh, the cover in the midfield is rather uh, short. Uh, Mm -hmm. We, we had, we had five mid, we have five midfielders, two of which are injured and three of which played uh, a a very intense uh, match, at least from from a nervous standpoint in uh, Old Trafford uh, just three days prior. So, uh, to see to see some of uh, some of that fall apart, some of the tension drop, some of the uh, the the focus. Uh, drop that! It's not. It's not surprising. It's not surprising to me. On top of all that, there was a lot of youth injected into this team, into this side. With um, one of one of the choices was forced because Chiellini, uh didn't feel well right you know, five minutes before the match, and, uh, and Allegri decided to uh, to scratch him uh, and throw through Rugani into the into the mix. So Rugani, uh, you know, just, <laughs> you just just imagine, just imagine like playing in Empoli where he played a lot of his football before, um, yeah. under Sarri and, uh, and the coming on as well, you know, all of this. Right. And, uh, then who's what is even 20. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't remember. Matuidi has, has not stopped since the world cup. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, what you do, what you get in the end is a hot mess of a first half. Um, you know, luckily we were able to, uh, write the ship by, uh, by hook or by crook. There you go. <laughs> I'll say it. Uh, I'm sure the, uh, the, and Kobe police, please do, uh, you know, let the hate mail roll. Um, I <laughs> you know, there was, there was, you know, the, the penalty I, I, I said was, uh, I did say on Twitter that was soft. I'll say again that it was uh, a 50, 50 call. Uh, so 50, you know, if, had he called it, had he not called it, frankly, I would not have screamed uh, bloody murder uh And then we it almost have... looked
0: like it almost looked like a foul on Dybala, you know like it was work. like the defender was trying to work his way back to the ball and Dybala just kind of threw his hip into him a little bit it just it looked weird i mean it just I, I penalty was not the conclusion I was going to give on that I was just gonna let it i, I as a ref as a referee in my my opinion i i would have just let the thing let go play on yeah. let play on yeah yeah,
2: he just let play on um and then we had you know what uh and and this is the where the homer will come in by the way uh <laughs> We had uh, Ronaldo. Ronaldo scored the goal uh, of the week. I, I will say um, with uh, with an absolute cracker. Uh, so you know, and in the end, we, we kind of toughed it out, grinded out a win, um, as we did in Parma, as we did uh, in Verona against Gievo, and as we did late uh, in Procinone uh, as well. So you know, I, I... All, all's, all's well all's well for the pragmatist Allegri, who just. Who likes to win, and, and you know, even if it means winning, ugly.
0: Um, I, I do have Ronaldo as the goal of the week, uh, so <laughs> ter- terrific penalty that he took there. No, just <laughs> <laughs> so, calmly done. No, um, uh. No, I just—it was kind of funny because the highlight package that I saw with, with Empoli and Juventus, it was uh, Allegri was talking to Benucci just before kickoff. Like Benucci was Allegri sitting in his seat on the bench, and Benucci's leaning in, and it, I, I just want to caption it. It's just like saying the, the the guys on each side of you, they're, they're, they're quite damaged. <laughs> the, the the one is making his return back to Empoli, and you know there was all these expectations of him, and he hasn't quite lived up to him. And 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 the one that's going to be to your right, uh, you know this is one of these games where we just have to throw him in there. So suffice it to say, you're going to have to do a little bit more than you normally do. Keelan, he's not out there to bail your ass out. So um, that's at least kind of the way I looked at it when I saw, when I saw Allegri uh, kind of talking to him. It's like, you're going to have to do a little bit more back there. And then to your point with Benton, you're hitting on all of these points. I'm like, that's probably exactly what Allegri was saying to Bonucci when Bonucci leaned into him when they were talking on the bench go watch the highlight package because there's like a little conversation going on before Bonucci goes out there so um, and, Bo- and Bonucci did play uh did play a, a really
2: really well i thought yeah he did I he had a he good game arguably the, the man of the match for Juventus uh, that game of course he doesn't score the flashy goals but um defensively he had uh he had to come up big uh a few times and also uh, led by example. Uh, luckily, uh, he didn't need a, cha- a captain's armband for that. So, uh, sure. and, and uh, he needs he needs to chip away his he needs to chip his way back up there. More like a like a like a Mexican pilgrim, uh, you know, just making his way on his knees, or or kind of in that scene in uh, Breaking Bad where you have the two brothers kind of making their pilgrim just by 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 slithering on the floor. You know, that's how he needs to come back.
0: To you. <laughs> like a good Breaking Bad reference. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all, no. Uh, Matt, uh, the rest of this slate, I mean, what's the uh, Atalanta making another statement? An apartment team that actually created some chances here early, and this game was interesting until Atalanta broke through. But uh, that, that's at least where I'm coming, coming in at. Um, but what else, uh, w- what else caught your eye from, uh, from what happened from these games?
1: I think it's Atalanta. I think, yeah, we, you know, I, you know a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe around when the international break was going, I really hadn't had much to do because obviously with Italy, we really have, don't know what we're expecting on a, a game-to-game basis. So I was uh, perusing the table and seeing what I can find there. And I saw how low Atalanta in the table was, and I know we talked about it at the, uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, th- that's just not indicative of who, what type of team they are and what type of coach Gasparini uh, is. Right. And I think, again, everything's going to kind of even itself out as we go on uh, throughout the season. I think Atalanta, again, are going to be right in the thick of things. They're going to be in that hunt for a Europa League spot for sure. Um, and if you, if you mean people recall, you know, even two years ago, uh, they finished fourth. They beat Lazio out on the final match day for fourth. I mean, again, it, you know, they obviously didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things because uh, Serie A only had three uh, spots at that time. But again, they're a team that's that they 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 can compete with the big dogs on on uh, on their day. And, and again, if they're able to handle their business and they're able to be the Atalanta team we we know of. Uh, they're, they're going to be right there until the very end. And of course, it's unfortunate that they, again, they didn't get out of the the playoff for the Europa League. So we're not going to see them in the competition because obviously uh, we want to see the representation in these competitions. But in any case, I think Atalanta are a team um, that are going to start to find their form. They're going to start to climb up the table. And they're going to be the Atalanta team that we've come to know of, uh, in the past uh, handful of years as being a formidable foe, a team that uh, you know relies on a lot on youth, but also has the, those veteran presence uh, in, in, in the squad, specifically, obviously, Papu Gomez, and I- Ilicic is a player I like quite a bit, and it's it's great to see both of them, um, you know, playing on the, on the on the pitch at the same time. He's a uh, great p- great from set pieces, creative player, um, and I know he's uh, a a, pl- a player that can really make a big difference for Atalanta this year if given the opportunity to do so. So um, yeah, I think Atalanta, you know, is finally establishing their form and making that creep up the table is uh, probably one of my bigger takeaways in this season. I mean, excuse me, this, uh, this round.
0: Yeah. Um the only other one for me is, is, is Fiorentina. It just feels like they're, – it they're sput- It feels to me like they're sputtering. Last week we sat – last week I sat on here on Saturday, I sat down when we recapped. Last week when we recapped, it's, you know, I, I – I, we, we usually do like a winner and loser from each city on match week. I made Fiorentina a loser. Home to Cagliari. If you're going to really be serious for top six and with the team that you got, you got to get three points at home against Cagliari, Okay. Um, and then here, same thing, opened up with a lead, you know, opened up relatively early with a lead, two minutes in with Benassi, you know, Torino is another team that's just been struggling. Even if it's an away match for Fiorentina, but this is one that they've got to take care of. So that's jumping out to me that they're just, that's, it's another team kind of just like Sampdoria that, you know, results like these keep them from getting over the hump and, 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 and ruining a season like Lazio's or Milan's or someone like that. So it's, um, you know, it's just kind of it's just kind of where we're at with this. So, um, uh, goals of the week, and this is what I'm going to give, and I'll probably give it to Richard, and then you guys can you guys can say yay or nay. But at, here's what I've got: uh, at number five, I've got Rodrigo De Paul's equalizer for Udinese. Um, at number four, I've got Fabio Quagliarella's goal against Milan. At number three, I've got Lucas Cas- Lucas Castro's cracker against uh, Chievo, uh, banging one against his old team. Uh, at number two, I've got Souza's winner against Sampdoria, and at number one, I've got Ronaldo's winner at Empoli. Uh, with an honorable mention going to Marlon and his goal uh, for Sassuolo. Um, any uh, any argument with those guys? I would uh, I would actually put uh, Ray Paul's
2: a little higher. I would sub out Qualiarella's um, in for. Um, Ugh, the the Sassuolo guy you just mentioned. Mm, was Marlon? Yeah. Yes, Marlon. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I fit, But, uh, you know, no argument on the top uh, two for, uh, for me. Okay.
1: Matt? Same thing. I, I was just about to say that. I, th- he took the words right out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Since you guys are our guests and this is your first time, we're going to do that, and we're going to have the top five in your honor. Fabio Cuadrella yeah. out, Marlon in. We'll put Marlon at five, and then we'll put Rodrigo DePaul at four. Um Lucas Castro at 3, uh Suzo at 2, Ronaldo at 1. Perfect, Honored. good. Thank you. we are good. Okay, so all right, so we're good. Okay, so that's our top 5. Um and in the spirit of Halloween, guys, let's close with this. Uh Matt, we'll start with you. Uh give me one thing that scares you about Italian football.
1: Oh sorry, I had plenty of time to think about this throughout this recording and I think the uh biggest thing that scares me about Italian football is the state of Serie B and really just the bottom tiers of uh Italian football in general. Mm-hmm. I think mean- there's a lot of things that um, you know, Italian football. There's a lot of things wrong with Italian football, um, and it's definitely not perfect. It's definitely getting better, in my opinion. Um, with specifically with VAR, specifically and getting the states um, being having the access on ESPN, I think that's big for the league as well. But Serie B, I feel like I'm reading something on it each and every day. Sometimes it's being postponed. Sometimes there's teams being, uh, you know, uh, teams being ousted, if you will. And there's a lot of just kind of uncertainty going on with some of these lower division teams. And you wonder how healthy is Italian football at this moment, right? I think there's a lot of people that talk about specifically to, uh, Italian football TV. Shout out to them; they do great work on uh, Serie A and, of course, the bottom of the bottom uh, bottom leagues as well. But I think if you really look at it, is, is Calcio really back, right? I think yes, maybe Serie A is has has some strong teams, has some teams that are doing really well in Europe. But is generally speaking, is it back? And I think if you look at some of these lower divisions, and the structure of these, uh, you know, these. Uh, The Italian tears, you wonder that doesn't so much look like the case here. So that's something that scares me. I'm hoping that in time that sorts itself out because there's a lot of these teams that do have plenty of history. Of course, Barry, of course, I know um, Rocco has uh, ties to as well. I think I just want to see some of these, you know, historically uh, profound and historically um, popular teams uh, start to put everything together and really kind of make for a healthier um, overall Calcio experience top to bottom. I think that's what ultimately help Serie A and, um, you know, not Serie A, excuse me, Italian football get back to where it needs to be. Excellent, excellent,
0: Rocco. How about you? Give me one thing that scares you about Italian football
1: yeah, and no,
2: absolutely, I think uh, the fabric of uh, of Italian football uh, can only be improved uh, specifically from the from the grassroots uh, and i'll take a different angle to this. the uh, recent election of uh gravina. As uh, president, uh, gaining ninety-eight uh, percent of the vote and only, I think, a few votes, a few votes uh, from, associate- from uh, voters abstaining uh, to vote at all, um, mm-hmm. really uh, puts the wind behind his sails in order to turn things around. So one of the biggest fears would be uh, the inability, despite of that, for him. To uh, restructure, uh, change a little bit uh, the uh, the fabric of Italian football in order to produce um, better youth, um, better outcomes for the Italian uh, for the Italian national team, as well as this uh, being reproduced at the uh, and and you know coming to the fore at uh, at the club level. Uh, you know the only thing to fear is fear itself uh one of one of the the biggest fears is the fears of the unknown and uh and one of the and one of them for me uh as a juventino would be uh and the the worst fear the biggest fear the one that would wake anyone up uh in cold sweats would be the specter of another calciopoli coming to the fore uh out of nowhere as it as it did uh seemingly mm-hmm. in uh, in 2006
0: yeah especially when it looks like at least on the pitch, Italian football is starting to regain their reputation uh, with the performances of the teams in Europe. Um, exactly. You know, with what Italy, you know, judging from these last two games under Mancini, uh, maybe this, maybe the foundation of a direction that they can go. Um, there's a lot of positive things right now going on with Italian football. I'm just going to simplify. It. You guys hit on some excellent points. Ventura somehow getting Chievo out of this out of this mess and getting him to survive. That scares me. <laughs> So I don't, I, I usually don't, I, I usually reserve mean things, saying mean things about other people, but I don't have a nice thing to say about that man. So uh, most Italians are just about almost all Italians and uh, around the world don't. So, uh, you know, I hope he sinks with that ship. Uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of my sentiment on there. So uh, with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Uh, And uh, I'm going to give our distinguished, I'm going to get out of the way, give our distinguished, distinguished guests a chance to uh, plug their work. Matt, we'll start with you. Yeah, so everything that I'm
1: working on, uh, you guys can uh, figure that out. Follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Again, uh, I'm a co-host of State of Play Pod. We cover Not just Syria, not just Italian football, but really football in general. MLS, Liga, that's already pretty much decided at this point. Um, Bundesliga, you name it, we cover it there. So make sure you guys check that out. But yeah, if you guys want to find everything I'm working on, uh, podcasts, written work, uh, miscellaneous projects, it's Twitter, again, at Matt underscore Sant'Angelo.
2: Wonderful. Rocco, how about you? On my side of things, I'm at Catenaccio NA, as in not applicable. Uh, and yeah, same thing. just uh, recently I've been diving and been dedicating a lot of my uh, work on my uh, new YouTube channel, which uh, you can find at youtube.com slash c/ game of the week. Uh, so every week I've been putting out uh, videos setting up the marquee match uh, of the week as well as giving my predictions on the rest of the card. Um, and, uh, and doing a quick little recap of the, of the prior, prior week or previous week, uh, marquee match. So that is most of it. I'm still writing the odd piece for Italian Football Daily. Uh, we have covered a number of uh, Toronto FC games this year, uh, looking at the uh, Jovinko aspect, uh, and I've recently covered a Canada game uh, on behalf of Italian Football Daily and got a chance to chat with uh, Juventus under-23 goalkeeper Alessandro Busti. So that was, uh, that was a great experience.
0: Great stuff. And guys, it was a privilege to have both of you on Seria. sit down here and uh, let's get you both on uh, real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Frank. Appreciate it. No problem. It's you been a pleasure.
1: It. Thanks again for the call
0: up. No problem. No problem. Glad you guys could jump in and help me out. I'm at FTC underscore uh, 21 on Twitter. Fearless five. We'll have another one for next weekend's matches. I think I got two right and two wrong this week uh, so far with the Lazio Inter game. Oh, Guys, nice. quick prediction: Lazio Inter. I've got a two-two draw tomorrow. I got two-two as well. I'm sticking with that. Okay.
2: I think Inter
0: will win this one.
2: Seven-one-two. Seven wins, one uh, draw. Two.
0: You got Rocco. You're saying Inter wins. Yeah. Okay. All right. Inter, Inter with a win. Matt and I are going to go for a draw. So okay. But at FTC underscore twenty one on Twitter. Uh, like I said I'll do my fearless 5 this week. Uh two up two down so far with the Lazio winter game uh to take place on Monday. Um uh Sit Down we're available on iTunes, we're available on SoundCloud. We have our own page there. Go ahead and subscribe. We're also available on Stitcher. Uh we have a YouTube. Uh Richard will put up the goals of the week on YouTube uh, a little later this week. It's collaborated by the three of us. Um Special thanks to Adam Brandon for stepping in and recording this podcast. It was very much appreciated. Uh, Again, Richard is going to be found on the Milan Weekly Pod this week. Do go check that out. It usually releases on Tuesday. Um, And uh, that's uh, just about it. So, uh, again, for Matt and for Rocco, I'm Frank. This is Serie Sit-Down, part of World Football Index. Thank you for listening. And as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. (laughs)